Hello and welcome to episode 284 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 5th of June 2019, that's a Wednesday, and tomorrow the pre-E3 whatever's going on news calvacade uh, begins in earnest. So by the time this podcast comes out, it once again will have been recorded on Wednesday. So for the second week in a row, just feel the need to preemptively apologize for that. Uh, Should we preemptively talk, like, just, we haven't got anything to revise about uh, Modern Warfare 1. No, I don't think so. We could do the opening of the last podcast again. But I should say what I forgot to say, which is that my name is Chris Thurston Mm -hmm. and joining me is, is you, Alex. Yes, me. And also also Tom. Um, So it's the same, like, yeah. Also. Yeah, so it's the same again, basically. So <laughs> if you enjoyed uh, last week's episode, you can just listen to that again. But to clarify, that was recorded now two Wednesdays ago. <laughs> so you're getting a kind of updated Wednesday to Wednesday kind of... You could plot something here, probably. <laughs> the point is that we're in news season, presumably, perhaps, which means that, well, things leak on purpose on Wednesday. <laughs> then they get formally announced on, on Thursday and then uh, it's all, you know, plain sailing from there. So it, to start off with uh, one of two uh, pre-E3 things that has actually happened, seems to be uh, a little bit of rumblings about the Stadia stuff that will be being presented by Google tomorrow, mm. Thursday, yesterday, if it's Friday, <laughs> or just at some point in the past. Um and then the, the detail there, which I thought was interesting, is Destiny 2 being on Stadia, but also getting uh, cross-save functionality, which means that you can use your save from other platforms, regardless of the platform that you're using it on. And the, the blank stare I'm receiving from Alex communicates almost no enthusiasm for this idea whatsoever. <laughs> no, it would, have, it would have made a lot of sense to me when it first came out on PC, because yeah. I desperately wanted to play it on PC, but I had a... 100 hours or something on ps4 and i didn't really didn't want to have to do it all again mm-hmm. so presumably this is like cross cross saves with ps4 and with pc and xbox and so does that mean there's also cross saves between xbox and playstation now well can you use it as a bridge i don't know because this is the thing so the reason they said one of the reasons they gave previously for not doing this is the game has always had quite a lot of playstation exclusive content because there's always a relationship between bungie and um sony so there were PlayStation exclusive multiplayer maps and things like that and the cosmetics and, and things. So there was always a reason why you couldn't do it because those assets couldn't then show up on PC. But maybe that not matter with Google money. <laughs> Google yeah. money say. That is very much a problem where like, if you just work on it a bit, now you fix that problem. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just not have the exclusive stuff show up on the platforms that it's not on. Yeah, right. It feels like it's a, it's solving a problem that Google has, which is if it wants a, pretty successful live game on its service uh it doesn't want people to have to f- start from scratch right yeah which is the key which is why the pc the pc version coming out so late see was was a bit of a failure really mm. i mean i'm sure it's worked out fine but you know it felt pretty odd that it was i don't know how it was six months was it much as, it? as much as a year or something after it came out on what console? destiny 2 yeah but it came out on pc it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't soon are you sure? Hmm. I, I'm it was not sure. day and date. Yeah, I Re- feel like it was quite a well. while. I can't remember at all. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, look it, look it up. But it's, um, yeah, like Google has this problem of the fact that it's a new platform, despite it actually just being the PC version, <laughs> um, because uh, people have played a lot of the stuff that it can trumpet, unless it's new games. 
Um, I am surprised actually that this isn't more of a priority because although it might only affect like the, all the people who care about this are people who bought your game twice. <laughs> like that's mm. a great group of people. You really want to help those people and make it good to be a person who bought your game twice. It came out six weeks later on PC. Six weeks. Yeah. Goodness gracious. It was September and October, 2017. I think I must have think... played it quite a lot in between. <laughs> <laughs> you played it for 18 man years <laughs> in that six week period. Yeah. So yeah. So, hmm. But it's, um, I think one of the things that was being argued at the time, I think, about the fact that it didn't have cross save was that, uh, I mean, actually, I don't know whether it was a, an official thing, but one of the issues that I certainly thought seemed fairly legitimate is that the PC version has mouse aim. So actually, you, mm. there is a functional difference between so the like, version. Your rank could be sort of misleading. You- yeah, like the, the weapons, uh, genuinely ha- handle differently between the two versions, um, because, uh, because like Destiny, Destiny is always is famously incredibly calibrated for mm. a controller. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I, I totally, I kind of get that as a sort of reason. But I think, I think, and I think, had Destiny been like a Destiny Two been a complete smash hit on every platform it launched on and suffered no retention issues whatsoever, then you can make a case that that mattered at all. Mm, mm, mm. Like, obviously, I think. It doesn't make sense to put players against one another when some players are on pads and some players are on keyboard. But in terms of their overall progress, which only affects them, yeah. I'm not sure why it matters. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like ultimately it's just whether or not players feel like they've earned the things they've got and you kind of want them to be happy that they're earning things at the pace they enjoy. So I don't know why you would lock that sort of ability to access that pool of progression. Cause it's, that's the thing. Like that's what I never play Destiny on PC simply because why would I? reset the big bucket of points that i've been <laughs> do we know day for stadia yet because i'm just thinking hmm, yeah because uh, uh the third season of destiny 2 is about to start or mm. it's starting at the like it's it just started it's okay. incredibly imminent isn't it mm-hmm. makes me wonder whether they're gonna they're gonna sort of launch it day and day there's um there's a data mind destiny expansion as well so it might be that really which is yeah. i think what comes after this next season right 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 so um, back to the moon. But it's interesting they're choosing Bungie, and I wonder whether it's because Google's done something with Bungie for mm. whatever comes next, which is presumably now that now that Bungie is independent again. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think you know Google have the resources to offer a uh, fourteen pound fifty, yeah, 14, eighteen, almost maybe even nineteen quid. Mm. Um, to help the support the game as it goes forward. So not, which is not to say that money is necessarily take change hands on that scale, but like there's certainly a, a very good possibility that it's in Google's interests to snaffle up games. And yeah. uh, you know, you assume that post Activision Bungie would be in a perfect position to take something mm-hmm. in return for, you know, developing the game for that platform. I, I was want it. at GDC when Stadia was announced, which means I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's a streaming thing from Google. Is it a subscription service? Nobody or? knows. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's fucking streaming games. Like, oh, it's just that. And it'll probably be the, as good as you can get. It'll be, that'll be it, you know? Because from here on in, we're kind of, the speed of light is probably the, the big <laughs> you know barrier for it you know and i saw I a headline on pc gamer that was i played stadia and got killed because of lag or something yeah i mean it's <laughs> like there is a there is a you can only you can i don't know 
I got. I mean, we talked about it at the time when it was first announced mm. during GDC. We're all really sad, and I'm about still it. really, an- <laughs> I'm, I'm still really annoyed that the the tenor of the of the uh, reveal for Stadia was this is new, <laughs> and like I remember on live very God, well yeah, that was not that long ago <laughs> really? I, was, I was born not that long ago and died <laughs> yeah. around the same time yeah yeah and i just and you know there are such fundamental problems so many other aspects of gaming technology there isn't we haven't reached a limit yet you know you haven't reached a physical limit yet you know you can get you can graphics cards are going to get faster and stuff um but just it's still going to take a certain amount of time for your game control to go off to a server and for you to get an image back you know that yeah. you can only you can only kind of scrape you can only um get that little bit better through clever shit yeah right would you have respected them more if they come out and said this is old yeah sorry everyone. Is, well, if they come out and said cloud cloud-based game streaming you've all seen it we've all seen it but from google we're bringing something new shitting fuckloads of money <laughs> <laughs> Just going to keep throwing money at it. Yes, exactly. It but the money is just like you know. So a lot of that money will be spent on the exclusives. You know, you one. I mean, yeah, so that's and that, that means what? that well, you're always going to get this slightly shitty, muddy way of playing these games. That's basically what Epic Store has been like. That's why it's a, a big event. Is not that you know a major player in the field launched a store because that happens every year and they all fail. But it was like someone with money has decided to just spend that money on this and. <laughs> really make a go of it i wonder i wonder how much the epic store i wonder how behind closed doors whether the epic store reaction has affected google's the way to exclusives yeah obviously this is total conjecture because we have no data like we have no information (laughs) whatsoever but i wonder whether that's rippled through you know the the way that one sets up a new store stadia exclusive i bet you could uh claim that I suppose it's like if something's already announced for for PC and then it becomes a Stadia exclusive, then everyone's going to call bullshit. But if it was a totally new thing, you could just claim this is only possible through our cloud technology. You couldn't yeah. possibly run on your yeah. PC <laughs> in that voice. Yeah, I would hope it is genuine voice. Yeah, I think the, the huge question is simply how people are going to pay for access to those games and services, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's and how therefore Google and game developers make money from it. Yeah. Like, um, I think we said this at the time that those were the two answers, uh, missing from the announcement, which will hopefully be answered by the time this podcast goes out. But nonetheless, it's like, um, you know, whether or not the technology works acceptably is problem one and how people actually get access to stuff is problem two. Like there's, there's rumors that Ubisoft are going to launch some sort of, um, uh, subscription service, sort of EA, is it EA play or origin? Origin oh. Plus or whatever it's called. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, like, you know, those, like, <laughs> yeah. all Xbox Live, are, you know, the, the, the various, you know, just pay money and you can get access to most of the games that come out kind of services. They're and all the same phrase, but that means I can't remember any of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, it's Premium Plus something, something, something. Um, and, um, there's a rumor that Ubisoft are going to do that because it makes sense for them to do that, or at least it follows that they would. Um, does that, mean you get access to those games on stadia they were already can they were one of the sort of launch partners for, for the announcement at least and it was all demoed on assassin's creed uh, or is that an extra fee or is that a fee that you pay to google or is that you know what i mean like mm. that's the, the the huge kind of query for me because if there was some medium by which i mean if you consider 
the methodology of building a monopoly at the moment, which is basically use your resources to vastly undercut other operators until they cannot participate. It's how Amazon functions as a retailer. It's, mm. you know, it is, it is pretty much the, the, the rule of how companies gain kind of their premiership over a particular part of mm. commerce, whatever it is. And so that would presumably, I would guess, need to be the goal with something like Stadia. Like that, would, you know, this is, this is a guess. This is conjecture, but it would be to make things as, as cheap as possible. Yeah. And if there is some mechanism by which Google either makes them free or makes access to them on Stadia free or makes, um, than part of some other, like, you know, you buy the game anywhere else. You've also got access on Stadia somehow. So you're always plugging into yeah, it's that like platform. It's like sort of prime thing where you, know, yeah. you get that and a shitload of other stuff. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind of wouldn't surprise me. Like I kind of would be surprised if it, if someone came out and, and it's Google Stadia, 15 pounds a month for all the games, which is kind of the model everyone else has done. Mm. That would be the place where I'd be really surprised to see it kind of completely just follow the past. Because mm. I'm not sure what Google would do with fifteen pounds a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like whether or not its its real value is in the sheer amount of data you can harvest all at once, or the ways you can serve ads, or you know, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's like that Kindle thing where you you can have a slightly cheaper Kindle if you don't mind adverts. Yeah, know. right, exactly, hmm. exactly. Um, speaking of Ubisoft, though. Uh, the only other kind of E3-ish sort of thing that's on the horizon is, um, Watch Dogs 3, uh, leaked, big air quotes here because, um, Ubisoft's big open world game of the year always leaks about a week before E3. <laughs> it Amazon, just always does. Amazon UK seemed to leak it this time, right? Mm. With it's a, always a retailer. It's always the, a retailer, this thing. A store description that, the tone of it is very strange. It does not sound like official blurb from Ubisoft. It sounds like somebody saying, like, and this this feature is perfect for watchdogs for this reason. Like it sounds like right, a sort yeah. of a pundit like opining on it, which is weird. <laughs> oh god. But it's uh is it called Watch Dogs Legion? Yeah. Um and it's set in London in a post Brexit London apparently. <laughs> oh. And it's we, okay, it won't be political because uh Ubisoft isn't. <laughs> we but that debate is definitely something we can look forward to in the near future. <laughs> yeah. Like, no matter what they say, whether good or bad, it's gonna be a, another fucking conversation about that. Um, and the mechanic they mention is that you can be any NPC, with, at which point I think we have to stop calling them NPCs. Like that literally stands for non-player character. If you can yeah. play as them, they're just a character. <laughs> Does that mean you're hacking into them? I, I want, like the title seems to suggest like, uh, I bet everyone's being compromised. Collective and like, um, no, I, I'm assuming like when you control someone in a, this is like a GTA like game, you're running around as them. Like there's no, there's no possible explanation that a technology could be doing this to them. I don't think unless they want to go really sci-fi. So I think it's just like, they're all part of your community. You know, it's the people rising up and everyone. Yeah, that's my guess. Yeah. I mean, essentially if they end up, um, they could, what they've ended up with presumably is a, uh, a dystopian kind of, um, Brexit scenario where, any random person can put their hands up and suddenly declare that, no, they are the main character, which is functionally the Tory leadership contest. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of topical humor for you That's there. That's good. That's good. 
Unfortunately, um, though, you have to play ultimately the one that takes you through the storyline is uh, Boris Johnson. Oh God! <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's inevitable, and there's nothing no matter you can do what, about it. whoever you pick, like <laughs> circumstances <laughs> contrive to just make it. It's, like, end up it's like Boris. It's like Agent Smith in the Matrix. Whoever you pick, it's like all his hair it's, comes yeah. sparks sprouting <laughs> <Exactly>. out. <laughs> Oh god, that's B- belly bursts forth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, that's the worst. I think I just visualised the worst game. <laughs> Sorry, Ubisoft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no, that's all that's known about that. I, I haven't really. I, Tom, did you play the Watchdogs? Yeah, Watchdogs Two is really good. Yeah, um, that. sort of quietly. It's it has one super annoying character um who is shown a lot in the promo material um but it's i've got a really it does a really good line in like there are high security areas both in the missions and also just out in the open world where you, i would just sit outside and sort of fly a drone over have that drone drive a car into somebody and then jump into a camera to start like uh, opening a gate to cause someone else to do this and just take out the entire thing without ever walking into it just through manipulating everything and it gave you so many different ways like you if you hack into a car you can you can't you don't remote steer it the way you steer a car that you're driving you just can kind of say go forwards go forwards and left go forwards and right or reverse or whatever and trying to trying to combine those to get it to run over all of the security guards one after the other <laughs> is kind of amazing <laughs> And yeah, like, you know, remote running a forklift truck and actually like operating its, its forks to kind of lift things out of the way and drop things on people and stuff like that was really good. So the first one was Chicago, wasn't mm-hmm. it? That was the second one was San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. If only there was some precedent for Ubisoft to do a open world series about the people rising up, uh, which hop city every iteration. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually rumoured that um, Splinter Cell's coming back. That's been rumoured for ages, but yeah, rumblings about that for ages. Sort of feels well. inevitable, doesn't it? It does. It sort of feels like it's been off the boil for long enough. And didn't Sam Fisher show up in Ghost Recon Wild Lads? <laughs> It'll just be called that. Splinter Cell, won't it? Yeah. It oh, won't God, be. it will. Yeah, we'll definitely. And <laughs> also, like, Dark Stage and then Three Lights, Screen Three Lights. Yeah. Like, you can just, it's all just writing itself. Wee. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, the boy. No, no, it's going to be the lights up boy. to reveal an actor playing Sam Fisher doing the splits above Eve Gemmo's head. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm signed up. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're absolutely right, Alex. That's exactly what's going to happen. Do you reckon the the darkness and then the three green lights coming on will be the start of the reveal or the end of the reveal? Oh, start. Okay. Yeah. All right. It'll be fucking open world, won't it? Yeah. Everything has to go that direction eventually. Yeah, you'll just be able to do this. And it's going to say, it'll, like, trust no one, trust no one. It'll be Sam Fisher saying it, trust no one. Yeah, and it'll be the old, <laughs> it'll be uh, Michael Ironside's back yeah. by popular demand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- that's the only thing they can do with it without people sort of, I mean, without it being pointless, because it may as well be Ghost Recon, you know. Mm. But what do they get, well, so what's the theme? Because they need to... Uh, it has to be fresh in some way, right? They have to do modern New- warfare. Is is like it's like modern warfare, except we're going like grittier and more realistic and less kind of um, mm. 
uh, indulgent, trashy, poppy novel type thing, but this is what the horrors of war, and we're going to really confront it. Oh, no, is yeah. Spencer Cell going to do that? Why can't they just have a nice dirty <laughs> they've bomb? they've kind of already... Russian dirty bomb. Big EMP. <laughs> Insurrectionist EMP. Oh, you mean like Spencer yeah. Cell's one, two, three, four, <laughs> yeah. and five? <laughs> there's a boat. At some point, there's a boat. Perfect. <laughs> Who needs any more? This is what the whole point, if you're going to call your name just the original name, you, you don't have to do Grimness of War. Just you can just go, yeah, yeah. right... I'm going to uncomplicatedly have an MEMP and go on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> like that modern warfare thing where they said, like, oh, you know, warfare has changed so much since 10 years ago. These days it's not black and white and both sides don't wear uniforms. <laughs> Spencer Cell will be like, no, this is back when it was black and white. You remember 10 years ago and war was completely straightforward. <laughs> That's where our game is set. <laughs> yeah, what else can they go for it? Because they've done, they've done various different, you know, clancy sort of paranoid targets have got an emp or a dirty bomb they've done the government is bad now um and they've sam is bad now. and they've, they've done, done sam at is least bad twice. now which are and they've done sam is bad now twice and those are the only three clancy plots that there are <laughs> you know like sam is bad now or is he <laughs> like the only remaining one is submarines like question mark the last just, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm i i could do a submarine yep uh, an infiltrate submarine. Yeah, um, came to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. What else? I mean, they, what they could they possibly do? Like, if they were to update it, it would just be like, you know, uh, a really thin, uh, you know, metaphor for like Cambridge Analytica is um, mm. <laughs> raiding, is, raiding as a sort of yeah. technology company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they've got the bad algorithm, and they're like crude metaphor for like fake news on Facebook or something. Would I mean, be like ghost. Sorry. A video that makes people's eyes bleed, and then they attack other people, and that'd be an excuse to do something. <laughs> Metal, Gear, Metal Gear Solid Two done now all this. Yeah, I know. And it had like a whole sort of robot that was. But the new bad Ghost Recon internet. is already taking on like tech billionaires and their armies of drones that they apparently have. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what if tech is bad? Actually, which is also plot of Watchdogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Assassin's Creed because yeah. But fundamentally, there is a there is a general wish for let's go back to when things were simple and there weren't there wasn't the sort of layers of 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 inherited politics to games and you mm. kind of you know if if games are meant to be escapism you know there is an argument that i don't want to play a, a, a watchdog which is about boris johnson you know <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I just maybe so i do want him to do splits on a boat with an EMP. I think maybe that's the thing people have been misunderstanding about those those statements that Ubisoft have made about games like The Division. It's not when they say this game isn't political. What they don't what they mean isn't this game isn't political. What they mean is don't we all miss a time when you could say <laughs> this game wasn't political even though it was about uh, you know a, a massive American man finding a nuclear bomb in a bin or whatever. And um, and garroting a lot of people along the way. And it, people just sort of accepted that because it was just a sort of genre yeah, of, it's, you know. It's a genre yeah. of big game. politics. Yeah, yeah. It's like, is your game past, future, or army? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, is it, are you against the Russians, the Koreans, or insurrectionists? Well, yeah. Yeah. Or, exactly. Um, Americans. Like using the Russians, triggering a fake war between the Russians and yeah, America. Yeah, like actually, yeah. They call themselves patriots because they're really, their motivation is always that in order to make the, their country ready for the war, 
they must first cause the war yeah. and set off a nuke in their own country yeah. to kill enough people to spur the government to protect their country so that they wouldn't possibly let a nuke go off. Also known as Goldeneye. <laughs> we're, doing, is- <laughs> we're, doing the, we're doing the meme, you know, the meme of the brain like doing, mm. going through the stages. Mm-hmm. So we'd like, Russian would be the basic and then we're going up to Patriots. That's the plot of Patriots. at least one season of 24, but one in particular. And then... And Metal Gear Solid 2. And Modern Warfare. And Modern Warfare not only copies <laughs> the plot of this particular season 24, but the main bad guy is a Russian arms dealer who loses the same arm. Both of them lose an arm. They lose the same arm. And they both have the same plot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 50-50. <laughs> I mean, I actually started to think maybe they, they didn't copy this because if you're copying it, you'd at least change the arm. Yeah. <laughs> Easiest tweak in the world. No, we can, we can fool them all by having the same arm because they'd never think. <laughs> the double fluff. <laughs> I hope it's really weird, like a Kojima game. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Do you see the Death Stranding trailer? I think that came out I'm, last week, but we didn't am, talk about I it. I am. So, I mean, we really talked about it briefly because we mentioned Die Hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really, really love I really, I'm just really excited about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it, it sounds actually like it's going to be quietly sort of in amongst all the mad bullshit, just quite a pedestrian, or not yeah. pedestrian, but like straightforward exploration game of just like putting giant ladders on things, yeah. <laughs> which would be awesome. <laughs> well, because cause Metal Gear 5 was a fundamentally like yeah. quite a meat and potatoes where yeah. very well done stealth game. Like, yeah, right, yeah. You just watch sort of 80 minutes of a mad film that doesn't make any sense yeah. with lots of actors in it. And that's the Kojima way. Yeah. <laughs> you mask, you put a load of bullshit in, and then put a really good game in as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, isn't it? I agree. Um, <laughs> what have we been playing? Let's talk about that instead. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing SteamWorld. Uh, SteamWorld. Uh, very good, very good week. Hand of Gilgamesh. It's been a hell of, heck of a week, hasn't it? Mm. Dang. Actually, we've actually uh, divided our um, time quite well. Mm. We all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah all the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so this is um, um, Image and Form's latest kind of sort of blundering into another new genre <laughs> thing that they do so like you know they're a really small studio i think swedish i think swedish and they have made um a tower defense game based in their steam world universe which is basically car- cartoon robots Wait, um, which game is that it's called steam world tower defense really <laughs> that was the first game it was really wow, old I didn't know that. yeah um then SteamWorld Dig, which was a kind of a Metroidvania thing based on, oh, what was it? Oh, God, I can never remember the name of it. Basically, where you dig down and you get stuff, minerals and things, which you can invest to get feed for. It's really good. Uh, and then there was um, SteamWorld Heist, which was yeah. a tactical, like a, a turn-based platformer. Yeah, it was like Sidon XCOM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with ricochets. Yeah, with ricochets. Cool. And that's really good. So this is um, a card-based RPG battler um thing where you are playing as a team as a party of uh, three robots uh sort of uh and each of them has a well i mean on the surface it looks quite a lot like say the spire but actually it's got shitloads of its own ideas like all of uh, their other games that have gone into genres that you know that already established this one has shitloads of its own ideas and actually it's not that useful to think about it like um say the spire at all so each of the robots you have when you go into combat has, has his own hand of cards 
um uh, of his own, own deck. deck of cards yeah. yeah and then those those cards are then dealt into a hand um for your turn uh, i think it's eight cards that you no six cards that you guys choose from and then when you play you play three of those cards but you're you're restricted on which ones you can play with a kind of a an energy system it's kind of represented by a little gear um icon uh, some of those of cards interesting too because the in slay the spire you have like three mana and you spend exactly. each card costs a certain amount of mana and this spending mo- playing most cards gains you yeah. cogs or whatever so it there is. are and there are basic attacks which deal small amounts of damage or sort of fairly straightforward effects like a uh, like a health barrier so that you know it's like a shield more most those kinds of things basic attacks and 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 effects will earn you a cog but then the more powerful ones uh will spend those cogs um so you're always thinking about do i want to spam some simple things now and then reap and then because your hand is uh stays consistent uh between turns you you can basically stock up the, the three remaining cards for knowing that you'll have them on your next turn. So you're thinking about those kind of questions. Um, and there are loads of other things to think about at the same time. Um, so one of the things about Salesforce, obviously, as Tom has talked about a lot, is the fact that you, you ultimately through a run, you make a machine, you make a, a kind of a card dealing damage machine which is you know through the synergies of the different cards and that's the fun of the game with this one there are so many strategies or uh ways to approach each hand that you don't really build a machine you more Mm. build opportunities really uh so there are you know so you're gonna be thinking about uh, i need some cogs so i'm gonna have to build up some cogs and just accept i'm not going to do much damage this turn uh you might get a card which the cogs carry over as well turn they turn. carry over as well yeah um uh you might get a card which or you might have one of the cards and you get delta which has additional damage if you play a card of a certain type with another one of the characters <laughs> and you might have to gamble like this would be really useful to play this right now. So you might gamble that there are that card of that type for that character t- comes up and you're going to be able to play it um, in the next turn. Um, you might be thinking about the fact that um, if you play one character's cards, all three of the cards that you play are for one character, you get a, th- a fourth uh, attack, which is, based on the weapon that they're carrying so that's another thing you're thinking about and there are like a bunch of other things so you're basically thinking about when you're when you're choosing your deck you're thinking or decks you're going to be thinking about what's going to have the opportunities you know and but also think about roles so there's a a giant frog guy who has loads of his health but he also is a health deal you know he's a he's a, a healer mostly so he he is good for being to playing a support role and there's a a magic role thing but they all have fairly you know they're all quite fluid in the roles that they can take in the team they can all deal damage and they can all um mitigate damage to to extents oh there's another type of card where you know it'll boost fire for a for one of the characters so now if i play that on one character and then i want the 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 magic dealer now to play fire cards but then the magic dealer in their hand they might be full of ice cards so you know you might need to read organize the deck and like you can only they're in their deck they only have eight cards and that is a very low figure like yeah. it is really painful and thinking about what you're going to have 
Do you... So you start with three characters. I've heard there is a, at least one more character in the game. Do you know- I've come across that character and I'm pretty sure, and I haven't actually unlocked them yet. I've played for about three hours and I'm I'm somewhere in Act 1 still. I'm curious whether when you get a new character, do you add them and now you have more than... Like, because three times eight is 24, so yeah. that's your, your total deck size all the time right so if you add a fourth character do you actually have a bigger deck or do you replace somebody i suspect that i don't think you know i was thinking about that and i suspect and this is kind of silly not to know this really but um uh i don't think the game could support four characters i think it would feel really ungainly to have yeah. all those extra cards because as it is so one of the one of the little things with this game is that um when your character dies you not only have to deal with the fact that you've got a whole character not dealing damage, but also their fucking cards are getting dealt into your hand. So and you they, can't play them because they're dead. You can't play them because they're grayed out. But you do, uh, on in every turn, you get two uh, redraws. I found that penalty for death. Uh, so I played it up to the first proper boss. Um, actually, no, I, I beat at least one boss. So I don't know. Um, I maybe played maybe 40 minutes or something. And uh, somebody died kind of unexpectedly they had quite good health they're one of my healthier characters and he just took them out and with a combo of hits i didn't know he could do and then my hand was like half her cards yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's insane because you've lost um losing like one of your three health bars basically is is a big deal and then in slay the spire terms it's like eight of the cards are not only not available to you, but they're replaced by curses. Like, yeah. I say this by a card you can't play yeah. is a curse, and yeah. it's a huge deal to have those in yeah. your hand. It's yeah. absolutely yeah. fucks you. Having, like, two curses is a huge pain. Having, like, eight curses in your deck is just game over, basically. Yeah. So, I, like, as soon as one person was down, like, immediately next turn, I lost another person, and then... Yeah, because off. now all of the damage incoming damage is concentrated on just two of the characters, yeah. yeah. So it was a huge snowball. It was like, if you lose one person, it feels like it's over. Yeah. I mean, I haven't actually, I haven't actually died yet. Um, I haven't sort of wiped yet and i've had two battles where i have gone down and i've been able to hold on that was quite long i also didn't realize i had a bunch of some like potion things i could have drunk yes which i was too late once they're dead but (laughs) i can drink them with the living people in my classic say the spire sort of uh, way of of playing i've completely forgotten about the potions (laughs) 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 um but it's it's really breezy and fun um have you been reading the dialogue? Uh, I mean, no. <laughs> the, I mean, the funness mostly for me is in the artwork and mm, just yeah, the, the music yeah. and, and that stuff. The dialogue, I mean, it, it's a, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit chatty. I, it was very similar to me to Druidstone where I gave the dialogue a chance for a few lines and it didn't offend me exactly, but yeah. I was just like, no, I don't think I have time for this. <laughs> I mean, everyone, there's probably twice as many lines as there needs to be for any yeah. one scene. I'd same say. with Druidstone. It's crazy. Like, for some reason that I think, I guess it's, there's probably like a genre of game where like they know it's not, I mean, like Diablo, they know it's not about stories, so they don't interrupt you with a huge amount of it. It's like, yeah. there's some text there if you want to read it, but they'll, the actual critical path will be like one or two lines from each character and then they get on with it. And then there's, um, feels like Druidstone and this both want, they're, they're pleased with the tone they've gone for and they want you they're to. They're very pleased. Like, like, yeah. Would you like a lot of this? <laughs> I get the feel, I, so the, a lot of its references, it feels very JRPG in its references. So there's a, the, the music in the area that I'm in the, uh, first act is, it is massively, uh, referencing Chrono Trigger, Chrono mm-hmm. Trigger, and you've got a big frog. Which is like the frog out of Chrono Trigger, and it, I think that some of the chattiness is 
JRPG, you know, mm. inherited, which is, you know, I, I definitely like the, the inheritance that they're going for, but like, yeah, less chat, please, less <laughs> chat. Um, but it's like, it's, like it's generous and light. And for me, the, the difficulty I'm playing in like middle difficulty, the difficulty is, 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 is that uh, I found with all of their games, it's pitched at a really flow supporting difficulty, you know, where it, it just is the exact ground between feeling challenged and a bit, hmm. um, scared at point. We're not scared, but you know, I'm feeling a bit challenged at times, but then, I just get through and I'm on to the next and I'm eager to do it. Can you change difficulty at any time? Don't know. Probably you'd think, but I don't know. Maybe I should. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the battles, I was about to say that before, the battles are really long, like surprisingly long. Mm. Although actually. Yeah, I thought that like, cause I just played, um, well, the tutorial for Void Bastards, you sort of, there's a, almost a forced fail or you're expected to die at the end of it. Mm. And yeah. yes, the first time I got to a boss and they, they had like 400 health and I yeah. said fought until I was like, I don't know, 50 or something. And I actually thought like, oh, maybe you're supposed to die to this guy. But nope, you really are. You really uh, yeah. have to take them out. And that one I did take be. out. And you're kind of, yeah, then you get taking, you know, and you get dealing about sort of 20, 30 damage per turn, aren't you? I think it's also just the numbers are just bigger than, say, the spires. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I just I had a battle yesterday with two characters, one of which was 1,500 and the other one was 1,700. <laughs> and I'd also been fighting that type of enemy bef- just beforehand. This was like a boss version of that. And like, oh shit, this, this was one of those, it was like a, it's one of those kind of ogre type enemies that is constantly buffing its damage over time. So your interest is to get rid of them as fast as you can. And so, oh God, I feel, but you know, and, oh wow, I've taken off half and this suddenly feels doable. Have you had any like tactics that you pulled off where you're sort of, the, th- the th- feeling I love in Slay the Spire is when you don't just, it's not just finding out two cards that work together. It's like, oh, if I have plus two strength and I'm using this thing that hits eight times and I've got this relic that means everything that does the cost zero does one extra damage and for every attack I, every three attacks I play I get a free energy point and that kind of like oh my god it just keeps stacking and stacking until I have this incredible killer combo do you get that? No. <laughs> okay. No I haven't had that and I don't I've, I'd be surprised if that does happen yeah, because my experience so far was it is sort of tamer. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. And I think that you're, because, because you've got, um, uh, those 24 cards and they're all very different. And the way that I've just, you know, I've laid out my decks is that I've got, I desperately want that. I want two men's, but I also want, definitely want that one. That sounds really good. So it's just one of each type of card, except for a couple of the really basic, important ones, you know? And so therefore, my hand is just a fucking Crap gobbledygook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm just sort of, ah, that'll do. You know, let's get that laid out and it's all good. So I, I, you could probably, maybe you could engineer that if you were really, if I was much more, but then you're also designing these hands across three different characters or maybe four if you've, if, if they, you know, so I, I, but like I said, I think that it's more about making sure there are opportunities to deal with mm. moments, opportunities to deal with damage, but also opportunities to deal with problems as they come in. Oh shit, you know, like, oh fuck, you know, my healer's just been hit badly and I need to be able to get heal, heal in. But I, I, really enjoying it. It's really good. How far would you say you're through? So I'm, I'm probably, I'm in act one still. I don't know how many acts there are and I've mm. played for about three and a half hours. Mm. So it's generous. It feels pretty generous. Mm. But obviously I believe there isn't any, I think that the story is it. There isn't some kind of, right. you know, infinite mode or infinite mode. Yeah. 
There's a robot with a bird cage for yes. a head that has a canary in it yeah. called Captain yeah. Canary, I yeah. believe. <laughs> yeah, which I think is is, is good. Yeah. Noted, thank I you. Was, I was in favour of that. <laughs> You've been playing more uh, Void Bastards. Yeah, I finished Void Bastards. Uh, I think I've just started playing it when I spoke about last week. And um, that game uh, is the upgrade screen, basically. Like, it, that is what everything I care about. And uh, that's what pushed me through it. Um, and it's a really good upgrade screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> the stuff that, it's like, it's, you, everything you find on the ships, um, you never find like a weapon on a ship or any, any actual like new tool. All you ever find is crafting ingredients and ammo. And the crafting ingredients, 90% of them are just sort of going to your materials, uh, bucket mm -hmm. and uh very very slowly work you you towards being able to build a new part the main thing you're on a ship for is to like get one particular part and every ship has it as a different one and get it, unlocking a new weapon will be like two different parts and so you only need two but they there has to be these two specific parts and finding those if it's a you know powerful rare weapon uh those parts will be ones that you only find on the deeper depths which is where everything's harder um and if you just don't happen to find that thing that you need for this particular weapon, you can eventually craft it with those materials. But it's like, you know, you're picking up, as I think I said last time, a foon is two slag. <laughs> and uh, some of these parts cost, you know, 280 slag. So it's a fuck of a lot of, like, trash. That's 140 foons. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of foons. <laughs> um, and uh, although you could, you can do slightly better if you find a... Uh, the sort of engineer factions have a special workshop room that will upscale loot and they like they have a different machine for each category of loot and i can't remember what a foon would upscale to but i do remember all the bio ones which is a finger will upscale to a hand uh -huh. <laughs> a hand will upscale to a heart a heart will upscale to a head <laughs> Okay. A head is the ultimate bio trash. <laughs> it's worth like 50 bio. And there's a, I, I can't tell if this is a joke or not because it, it's also, I think it's real, but when you upgrade like a triple A battery, it upgrades to a double A battery and then you upgrade it again, it's a battery. <laughs> okay. Is yeah, that like yeah. a type A battery or is that actually a joke about it? It's just a battery now. Uh, and then it goes to like a C battery or whatever. <laughs> That's worth a lot of volts. Um, but yeah, that whole man, I, I don't think I've ever really... Crafting's always kind of worked on me in that, like, if it's there in, like, a Far Cry game or something, I'll, you know, I'll get into making my bigger wallet from the shark skin or whatever. Um, but this might be the first game where, that, like, it's the whole point of the game and it's really working for me. Like, it's mm. a really good crafting system because I want all the upgrades a lot. Like, of course, I want to yeah. uh, unlock a new weapon. And then every, almost everything that you unlock has upgrades to it as well. And the upgrades are... They're not, like, 5% more damage. They are... Um, for the Riveter, which is like the rapid fire gun, just double damage. <laughs> it just does twice as much if you get that upgrade. Or the Bushwhacker, which is like a proximity thing. One upgrade will make it arm. Like it used to take like three seconds to arm. You throw it out, and so you have to wait for it to arm. So it's a very much a trap. And then the first upgrade, I think, changes that to like 0.5 seconds or something. Like it's insanely fast to arm. So you can basically use it as a grenade. Um, and then the one after that triples its damage. <laughs> so they all like each one is focused on something. It will never do like a bit of rate of fire and a bit of damage or a bit of this and a bit of that is always like one thing dramatically increased. So you always, everything makes that weapon dramatically different. Can you, um, with the, with the crafting materials, you, are you able to make choices that increase your chances of getting a particular 
crafting material not your chances but you can what you do is on that menu you pick an upgrade you want and say track this and then it will highlight on the map which ships have the right. part you need and sometimes it will i think it only ever picks one ship so you'll need two parts but it'll only show you where one of them is and it's usually several jumps away and early on um it would be a problem for me that the parts I needed for the weapons I really wanted were just at deeper depths and I didn't have good enough kit to take on those enemies yet. You know, if I bought one of the ships, I'd be running away from everything and that isn't really viable. Something I was expecting it to be a bit more of an immersive sim than it is. It's, it's very much a loot shooter. It's, it's a Borderlands type thing. Stealth is notionally in there, but only in the way that it is in like Bioshock. I would say even less than Bioshock because Bioshock at least had a tonic that would make you invisible when you stay still. This mm-hmm. has, as far as I can tell, no stealth tools. It has one gun that's silent that poisons them, but that only works. You know, so it being silent and they also don't feel it um, <laughs> is only useful if you remain undetected, of course. And there are no tools to help with that, as far as I can see. Um, there, there is one gene trait you can get randomly that will make your sprinting silent, but again, that doesn't actually really help. Sprinting is not the problem. You can easily walking is already silent, so. Um, and you never really need to move fast in a stealth situation. And I just was almost never undetected. Um, enemies, once you're in their line of sight, they aggro instantly. Um, and you don't have any intel advantage over them. You don't know where they are before they know where you are. And that's kind of the core of a stealth game is you need to know where people are before they know where you are. Otherwise it's over. So it's, it's really just a shooter. It's not really, there Mm. aren't really viable other approaches. Um, and I think last week I was pretty positive about the shooting. The shooting is, I'll downgrade. I think last week you asked me if it was fun and I said yes and I'll downgrade that to it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's sometimes it, it feels good enough um, and I, it never became like a chore to kill things. It was always relatively satisfying to kill things. It um, wasn't the point of the game. If it was a pure shooter with no upgrade stuff to keep me hooked, I don't, don't think I would uh, stick with it. Um, but there's one one combat dynamic that really worked in a really cool way, which was... Um, there's an enemy type, uh, the Zek, uh, which is short for Exec, I think, um, who uh, has a shield that she um, that covers her from all frontal damage, and just nothing can get through it. Even the gun that can shoot through windows can't shoot through the shield. <laughs> um, <laughs> and but she actually doesn't have very much health at all. So if you can do any damage at all from the side or the back, um, she'll be taken out. And so you can lay traps and stuff, and that you, to some extent that works, but. Really, the situation you need to worry about when you're picking what to take on a ship, you can only get to pick one direct weapon, one indirect, and one gadget. Um, and when you're picking what to take, if you're dealing with them, they're, they're a big enough problem that you kind of want... The, the situation you're scared of is when I'm not expecting one and I walk around a corner and they're there and they're firing rockets at me, um, uh, what have I got to deal with that? And throwing down a bushwhacker is not going to work. Um, so we take the rocket launcher, uh, or the nebulator, <laughs> as it's called, and... Figuring out where to shoot a rocket so that the splash damage will hit her uh, from any other angle but the front mm. works is just a really interesting thing because it's both skill based and strategy based. And although it's the, you know it's the fastest way to take her out, so it's kind of the action way of doing it. But also sometimes you're just in a situation where you're like fuck, there's no way I can get splash damage behind her, so I need to get out of the situation, go around a corner. And then when you go around a corner, you're immediately looking at what that corner looks like, what the shape of it is, where the geometry is. Is there something on mm. the ground that I can kind of like hit the back of so that it'll splash back? And that is just a really interesting like uh, dynamic that I never got tired of. Unfortunately, that's the probably the only enemy that really pushes you to come up with a new tactic. Like everything else is just, 
either it directly attacks you and you just mow it down or there are loads that sort of disappear or run away from you and you know then you just chase them down and kill them <laughs> like it's not uh that that is a bit different but it doesn't um lead to anything especially interesting but yeah the main thing that drew me through is just like those upgrades are so tempting and the system for progressing towards them is so satisfying the fact that you can that tracking system is really good because you can just you get to be intentional and say this is the thing i care about i really really want this weapon just tell me what i got to do to get it and i will fly wherever i need to fly and i'll kill whoever i need to kill and of course it sometimes has that thing of like you arrive at that ship and you look at what's on that ship and one of the enemy types is the screw which is just sort of uh, explicitly the enemy that you can't really take on directly like they're just too tough um and uh so it can just be like the worst ship that you um that you want to deal with but it's got the one part you need so you like might as well board it and then just see is there somewhere i can get to that part quicker um yeah and that stuff really works really well it's interesting i was just thinking the um because steamer quest has crafting in it where you're crafting uh, new cards and the crafting items just come in they do you have a battle and just you see a little animation of stuff going in a bag <laughs> or something and i still don't have any i couldn't tell you what any of these crafting materials are couldn't tell you where whether i have any <laughs> any kind of way to manipulate what they are i couldn't tell you what kind of cards that i it may as well not be there it really really doesn't need to be there at all yeah. all i know is that there are some cast materials i don't have so i can't have those cards you know and that's it and but it's meaningless to me because i have no idea where to get that from with void bastards i was almost never really looking at what materials i needed like the part you need is that's the big unique thing that's valuable you get one off per ship um and i'll focus on those and i'll chase those if i don't if i can't find that part or it's very difficult to get that part um I never really looked at like, oh, what kind of material do I need? And let's go and seek that out. Cause you can to some, like if you need a load of bio, you go to a medical ship and that will get, that will work to some extent. But I don't know where you go to get slag. <laughs> I don't know where you go to get plaz or vaults. Um, and so that kind of, I didn't engage with that, but I didn't have to either because it's really good at just telling you, here's the parts you have enough stuff to build. And mm. when, from the main screen where you're looking at all the different weapons that are available and stuff, when you mouse over, over one of those, it pops up with what you need to build it. And if it's a thing you have, it's in green. If it's a thing you don't have but could build with the materials you have, it's in blue. And if you can't build it either, then it's in grey. And so you just immediately know, oh, I could craft this right now. And you do it. When you say you've finished it, does that mean that the as an ending of game or you've yeah. gotten everything? No, both actually, but, um, well, I've got everything I want now from the, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I'd got nearly everything by the end because the main quest line is the way you progress towards it is the exact same way you progress towards the upgrades. It just, instead of you picking a weapon saying, let, tell me where I need to go to get the things I need for this, it tells you, oh, you need a ID card printer. It, that requires these three parts. Go and find them or craft them. And mm-hmm. then the same parts you can use for weapons. That I actually really don't like because it means that progress towards finishing the game is instead of progress towards getting yeah, any upgrades. Yeah. Yeah. So you just have to stop getting any fun stuff. It's just like, instead of doing the thing I'm really motivated to do, you've really successfully made me want these things and made me mm. enjoy making progress towards these things. Now you're asking me to just, just stop making progress. Just uh, don't get anything fun for a while. So do it is quest. also kind of a resource game, right? Because you've got fuel and food and things to consider. Yeah. Because that, that is like, that mechanic is, uh, that is not totally uncommon in a roguelike sense or even in some like an XCOM game where you know, it's going to ask you to build the gollop chamber or whatever. And so you, 
um you know so you therefore have to start directing your kind of you know money and 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 time towards something that only gives you plot advancement rather than however you must balance things. I, I can see the case to be made for yeah. forcing you to consider some other costs alongside your regular. There's an XCOM. So I, early on, I didn't resent this so much. And then one of the reasons it got to be a chore was it became clear what the pattern of the plot was, which is they just tell you, you need this thing. And then when you get it, there's some bureaucracy themed reason for why it's actually futile and you need a different thing instead and that's a joke and it's just the same joke every time and they just do it four or five times and the game ends so it's right. always it's really stressed to you how futile this is and arbitrary it's just you need this for some reason go get it and uh that they successfully made me feel that was futile <laughs> which <laughs> counted against the game whereas in XCOM sometimes the thing you have to build for the plot does lead to interesting new stuff like now you've got um psychic people or, or right, yeah, some special right, thing yeah. sometimes it doesn't and it's just plot but I don't know that in advance <laughs> with the first time I play. And so I'm kind of like, sure, I'll build a shadow chamber. Let's find out what that does. And, and even when it doesn't give me any cool new abilities, it sort of fits the theme and the fantasy of like, oh, we've got to interrogate this weird mm. alien and we've got to research it. And, um, I don't, I think I felt all right about doing that. Hmm. So having now done that, do you, would, do you go back and play with the toys you've unlocked? Nope. You're shaking your head. <laughs> I tried that today. I was, um, needed a break from Outer Wilds and I thought, I'll go back to Void Busters because I'm enjoying that. And I'd finished it. I finished the plot. And then at that time, I had, there was like one or two upgrades for weapons. I already had every weapon I wanted, but some of the weapons I wanted, I, I already had. Uh, I didn't have the upgrade for and I didn't need it anymore because I wasn't really working towards anything, but I, I played for a little bit longer after I finished because uh, you you can sort of go back to just before you finish the game um, and got those and then didn't actually try them out because <laughs> like, <laughs> I ticked them off now no it's not going for and I, so I fired it up again today and and uh, went back to that character and thought like the two questions are do I want to continue playing now that I have everything and the answer is no because there's nothing to work towards and the other question is do I want to start again and lose all these upgrades and go back to the start of this tree and the answer is no <laughs> this was like I enjoyed the process of getting them but I don't think just yeah, so losing right. them all again because it, it so it's the same set of upgrades every time then yeah. so that that would be a different you know some roguelikes would do that differently where you know, yeah I was half interested in like I wonder if I started again maybe I'd like which upgrades I find the parts for soonest would be different and I'd be sort of doing yeah. a really pistol focused run or something. I don't think it really supports that. A, because you can just seek out what you want. You can just tell it, I want this. Where is it? Um, and B, I don't know, like the pistol, I did go back and just try. I, now that I've got all the upgrades to the pistol, what does it actually like? And I tried it and it's like, oh, that's not very good. <laughs> I still don't really like the pistol. Um, and there are other weapons that are fun, but, but, Unfortunately, I think there are just weapons that are just straight up better. Like the Riveter is just the best direct weapon for almost every enemy, uh, except for that Zek thing I mentioned. Um, and the Zapper is the best gadget because it can take out all security and it's really good against almost all organic enemies as well. And there's ammo for it just everywhere. And so it, it does kind of devolve into like, oh, these are just the best. And so that makes it starting again, trying something different. I would, I'm sure I would find some virtues of the other things that I wasn't familiar with and to get more use out of them, but I would still know the zapper's just better than this. <laughs> but I really enjoyed my time with it. Yeah. So you said you've been playing Outer Worlds as well? Yeah. And Chris, you have? Yeah, as have I. So, um, I had not played, uh, sorry, to 
to clarify, I played an hour and a half of the Outer Wilds, which means I feel qualified for other people to tell me about the Outer Wilds. <laughs> and I think we should obviously not spoil things. Yeah. Um, cause it's quite a spoilable experience, but it's kind of interesting because I was obviously aware of it from, I think the previous time we talked about on the pod, but that feels like it's such a long time ago that I really can't remember much about yeah, what I was can't said. Remember. So tell me, tell me uh, in what way is it? easily spoilable is that is it just because it's completely about structurally finding things i think i think is maybe it a structural kind of like well this is playing around with how a game works or yeah is it, it is right, so right. i think but i think you kind of have to say one thing about the structure even if it's not the full presentation yeah. of it simply to understand what it is so um because yeah i went in knowing nothing and it's kind of interesting because so for context the reason it's weird is that it just sort of came out and I've been aware of it for years because it won the IGF like three years ago. Yep. <laughs> uh, and now it's out. And I haven't been involved in the IGF judging or anything for many years. And so I don't really pay that much attention. And because I tend to not play games until they are out, don't tend to play early access. Um, you know, this is one of those ones where it just sort of was waiting and, and I sort of avoided knowing much about it. So the experience of going in um, completely blind, basically, is I think a really, really nice one. It's a really charming game. And I don't want to... Um, I don't want to, it's tough. Like, I think obviously if you, if you want to play it completely unspoiled, I kind of recommend doing so. Yeah. I think it's a very good game. Um, so maybe, you know, skip ahead to questions or something. If you don't mind like a small structural spoiler, but the structural spoiler is important because it, yeah, it's very what, hard to talk about. It is. It's very hard to talk about. So the, the, but the, the broad strokes is it is a, like an exploration centric mystery solving game. Basically, I think when we were in, um, we were having, we were having dinner the other night and you described it as somewhere between Heaven's Vault and No Man's Sky. Yeah. And I think that is, it, but it's very different to both of those things. It's, but it's, it's in that sort of wheelhouse and it's, it's, um, space exploration fantasy in the way that those games are or folklore or sort of, um, it's, um, you play as a, an alien from a little world and the, the worlds in this solar system are tiny and they're only sort of kilometers away from each other. Um, they're like the kind of the orbs in Mario Galaxy, basically. Um, and you're off on a space adventure and it mixes sort of kind of like folksy kind of, uh, inventiveness and in what planets look like in, and, you know, you know, a planet might just be a rock with a little building, a little campfire on it and little wood and, and that kind of thing, uh, with some reasonably sort of detailed space things. So your spaceship is sort of jetting around in zero G in a not a realistic fashion, but you you control it like a lunar lander, basically. You're kind of constantly trying to like fling it at planets and then you know touch down on a new world and get out. And you have sort of granular control over your gear. So you have like a spacesuit that you put on, a little jetpack and you can hover around outside your craft in zero G to repair things manually and do little space walks and things like that. And it's all these like small it's full of little small actions and interactions and conversations with cool looking aliens. And, uh, you know, really early on, you, the, one of the first interactions in the game, if you are interacting with everything, is just to toast a marshmallow on a fire for a bit. There's a really, there's a really involved system. For that yeah, as well. it there's, is. There's like, like six different controls for it and you get analog <laughs> control over how you position the marshmallow in the fire. And, <laughs> and actually the thing it reminded me of straight away before I sort of figured out, Oh, this is the conceit of the game, uh, was beyond good and evil. I think that's, I think that's probably the tonal touchstone for mm-hmm. it. It's because it's science fiction, um, but it's uh, it's not quite animal people, but it's kind of cool, cute aliens and kind of 
um, I'm trying to think of a word for it that isn't sort of cutesy, but there's sort of a kind of folksy sort yeah. of aesthetic to everything. And if everything feels sort of like nailed together and almost sort of fairy tale, like even though it's in space, it's kind of campfire sci-fi. Yeah. And, and even though some of the broader, like there are sort of serious space phenomena in it, which are presented not necessarily in a realistic way, but it, it's sci-fi ideals go quite extensively towards SF and then towards fantasy in, in the same direction at the same time. It's kind of cool. Um, Actually, now that you mention it, the tone, like in terms of like between on the levity to seriousness spectrum, it's not that far off stuff like Druidstone and, and Steamworld Quest, but this really works for me in a way that those didn't. Mm. And I think it's, I think it's because it's not focused on making jokes at you. It's more focused on just being very like sweet and kind of good hearted. Like there's just so yeah. many like really nice people sort of, um, being earnestly like interested in stuff like an example is you have this um this scanner scope and it's effectively there's a navigational tool and a puzzle solving tool and it allows you to pick up sound from different worlds it's like a telescope but for music and sound basically and you tune it to different frequencies and different explorers that have gone out before you each took a different musical instrument with them and when you know what they are and you hear a flute coming from a distant world from the surface mm. of wherever you're on you know oh that's where they are and maybe you can go and find them and then that's uses the basis for storytelling and puzzles and things every astronaut before you that they all took a musical instrument and now that is all they do is <laughs> yeah. wherever they ended up just playing that musical instrument forever yeah <laughs> and there's no like like i've uh i've met them all now and there's no narrative reason why they would specifically be doing that it's just that they you know yeah. they got there and like oh, okay i've looked around and, yeah it's, it's pretty cool here i'm just gonna play my banjo for a while that's the thing <laughs> it's, 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 that's what i mean i think you're right when it says it sort of feels sort of sweet and kind of you know good good natured um but the the conceit the structural conceit is you have 20 minutes to explore and then it starts again um basically after a sort of introduction um and this is tied to the plot and there's reasons and um the first time uh, that that happened it, it took me by completely by surprise <laughs> and it's an enormously like effective moment um you can experience that in so many different ways as well yeah. and also you can just not experience it i the was a couple of times i just didn't experience it <laughs> i was going to yeah you can um uh and and similarly if you if you die you start again basically that's kind of the way it works yeah. so that's one of the reasons you know reasons you might not hit the hard reset is because you you die for some other reason um i uh for context of anyone who knows what i'm talking about um, I was trying to repair my ship outside it, uh, and, uh, when the reset happened and that was genuinely like, oh no, oh, oh, oh shit. Um, and, um, but basically, so the idea is, but your, um, certain, you know, but your character knows that this has happened. So you retain all the information you had. And so and that is it, as far as I can tell. So far, I've never had anything except information carry over. So it is persistent, yeah. like your ship's computer remembers all the things it knows from previous runs, but, but it's not like a Metroidvania where now I've got the special tool, like Minute is a t game where you yeah, right. the same Minute over and over again, but you get tools that you persistently take with you. This doesn't have that as well. Yeah, Minute, but what if 20 minutes? <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's 22 minutes, isn't it? Right, yeah. Um, and so, but you, so you go on this little jaunt, and so the, 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 the game space isn't massive, but it's about, doing a mission like deciding what your mission is going to be based on what you would you know you might be trying to you know get to the next step of the thing you were investigating last time you can like translate alien text and get clues and things and it has quite a smart journal system where it updates really frequently with quite useful notes mm. so and it's presented as a branching map which is the kind of what what your job is is to kind of map out all of these different branching paths so 
when a new journey begins, you just pick, well, I'm going to investigate this tree and then you kind of fly off in that direction and encounter whatever kind of space phenomenon you encounter on the way. And I had then, a really nice yeah. moment with that journal system today where, um, there was a, a sort of mystery I was trying to solve and I looked back to remind myself of, of what I'd learned from a particular place and I looked at the notes for that and it didn't tell me anything I didn't already know, but it was just its choice of what I, what I wrote down, you know, it's, it's, you've, it's written from your perspective. You've written these notes, but my character chose to note down these two facts. Like when I do X, Y happens. And I knew that already, but suddenly I was like, Oh, and actually yeah, now that's significant at the time, Y was useless to me, but now Y would actually be really useful. Yeah. Right. And then and I think, so the, for all of the space exploration stuff, and it is like, um, it's very good at, um, despite the sort of the, the twee scale of space, if that's everything quite little, it's very good at having sort of, uh, a little touch of kind of cosmic terror of various kinds. Yeah. Right? It was interesting playing it after observation, actually, because there are certain elements of like just staring into the beyond the both games doing completely the opposite tonal kind of approach. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting comparison to No Man's Sky as well. Cause yeah. It's sort of, they, they're so similar in what they set out to do. And they're both games where you seamlessly take off from a planet's surface and go to another one. You know, it's a big feature. Um, and this is just the polar opposite approach where scale is, m- tiny <laughs> small even for a single solar system and in no man's sky a single solar system is fucking nothing um but complete not just all handcrafted but intensely handcrafted like every world has been sort of you know yeah. chiseled so that every corner of it has intricate secrets and just everywhere you go you're stumbling over like deeply um authored stuff and and mysteries and and secrets and stuff and no man's guy has mysteries and and plot and things but very spread out throughout this massive Mm -hmm. procedural thing yeah and i think so but i think the the comparison that actually makes sense for it despite those that being the what you do is hop around as a lunar lander is it's kind of more like uh her story on obra din really like Mm. it like majora's mask um yeah although i think obviously majora's mask is more traditional adventure game Right. Like this is about what you know yeah. and then what that allows you to then go on and right, find. Right. Hmm. So, which is what it's like her story. Like her story is like once you've assembled certain facts, the next thing you search for is really obvious. And I um, think, yeah, so I, I think of it that way as well. It's kind of an information game, uh, partly because information is the only thing you take with you on a, a new run. Um, and I played it three years ago for, for the IGF judging. Um, and I loved it then as well. I, uh, uh, at that time it was completely unknown just never heard of this thing uh never heard of the people who made it never heard of you know completely out of the blue and it's one of the things that kind of gave me faith in the igf was like you really can if your thing is good enough and it's in the igf and mm-hmm. someone plays it like uh me and um uh anyone else who played it early on before it kind of um got attention were just yelling about it in the comments <laughs> like everybody play this right now because you will not believe it um and but what's weird is that back then I didn't think of it as an information game, and I did I played it for a significant amount of time. The game is obviously three years less developed than it is now, um, and I knew there were things out there to discover. I was finding weird phenomena and trying to understand them. But now the finished version, with all of its, it does a, it's got so many little features and and ways of explaining itself and ways of leading you into the right things. It's very um, well designed in that way now. Um, now it, and it literally has. Uh, well, not literally a, a red string board, but that layout of like things mapped to each other in this, yeah. like this is connected to this, this is connected to this. And there's a big question mark here. You don't know what this is, but it's connected to this and go and look in that. And it's really good at pointing you into that, that stuff. And now it really feels like, oh, this is a whole interconnected web of mysteries that all make sense together. And as I've, I've played a lot of it now and, um, 
uh, it's, it's so exciting when you realize like, oh, this whole thing that I've been discovering for ages is a weird phenomena because I just bumped into this other thing. I now realize how that relates to it and how it actually, you know, you're learning about the backstory of this place and it's it's both filling in the narrative and it's solving the mystery you're trying to solve and, and giving you practical knowledge that you can then use on your next run. Yeah. The other game that I was going to mention in comparison to it is Obradin, um, because I think it has a similar sort of, goes like, um, solve an environment from a kind of your understanding on it and move on. However, it's far more analog than Obradin because Obradin is literally, we're going to put you in this place until you've seen the things. Yeah. And then we'll kind of quiz you on it later. And I found, I really liked Oberdin and obviously a great game, but I think I found it very claustrophobic. Mm. Um, you know, because partly because of the presentation, um, uh, you're very intensely in this place. And, you know, when you've seen every scene and, and you're going back, it can, it's not hard to navigate necessarily, but I always felt like it's got a, it's got a rigid hand on what you can do without you having to go and do something else. Yeah. And, and, um, I found it sort of helpful to completely step away from Oberdin and then come back a bit later and just task myself with like, just get to the point where you've gotten three more things right. doesn't matter how, but, and that, because that helped my brain kind of let go of whatever it is I was getting stuck on or, or getting frustrated trying to brute force or, you know, the rest of that kind of, I'm trying to describe it like what exactly that feeling is of, of being slightly stuck within a system that you have some control over, but you, you can't step back and get like a kind of top level view yeah. of where you're at. Um, whereas, um, I think one in Outer Wilds, and not, they're, they're not comparable in a lot of ways, but in that particular way, it's a mystery game or an information game where you have at all times a good sense of what you have and haven't fully kind of explored from the tree. And that helps you guide what you might do next, but also being forced to start again, while not, um, I can imagine a world where people would be really not looking forward to the idea that, oh, it's an exploration game, but I have to go back to the start every 20 minutes. Um, I actually really like that because it takes away some of that, um, uh, fear that you've siloed yourself down the, the wrong, down a blind alley or mm. you're getting too obsessed with one problem because you're kind of forced to, if you do want to obsess over a particular problem, every 22 minutes, you're forced to get back in the ship and deliberately fly back to it. Yeah. And, you know, other things and can happen. Things on the way. And- yeah. And because all the planets are always, you know, when I talk, you know, they, they're all constantly spinning around the sun, they'll have day night cycles and everything is always in motion, literally. Yeah. So it's, it seems quite unlikely that you end up sort of just bashing your head against the same thing in the same context or enough moving parts that it's it's likely that something else is likely to happen or you're going to notice something else yeah i've had it so i've had it quite commonly where i'm on my way to do the thing that i was that i intend to bash my head against and then on the long way i'm like whoa what is that or like oh this thing is now interesting to me yeah and i've also had it a much less um figurative version of that where i'm on my way to where i'm going and literally another planet just smacks me out of space <laughs> like everything's moving so much you can literally just get hit by a planet yeah <laughs> like, right oh, I guess I'm investigating this one now. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah. And then there's also like, cause I think when I started playing it, I had the sense of the daunting, um, this is interesting. So maybe it's a closing note on it for me. Um, and this is only after an hour and a half. I feel like the reset is what solves the big town problem <laughs> because I did, yeah. uh, it gave me a real bad sense of big yeah. town because I started playing it and I've struggled to like really commit to a long game for a while. Right. Mm. Like, you mm. know, particularly like an open world game and, and, and or something like that. And so getting into this and being like, Oh, the, you know, early on you get access, you can look at a map and see these are all the different planets there are, and these are all the moons. And I looked at it with the gameplay sense of like, I've got to go to all of these places. And it gives you a few different choices of where to start, uh, like for initial pointers, although it doesn't just let you go wherever you want. But I thought like, 
okay, you know, break it down for yourself. One thing at a time, one thing at a time. I'm doing this. Okay. Well, I'll follow this path. This doesn't seem too bad. And then when it reset me, um, I had that sense of like, oh shit, this isn't a big town problem because I, I don't have to worry about not finding everything in one run because that is impossible. And yeah, as soon yeah. as you tell me that's impossible, stop you can worrying take a small about task. it. It's like, mm. I'm going to take a small task and that yeah. is sufficient for now. And it's, it's also really cool, <laughs> partly because the nature of the things I end up doing that my life does not matter. <laughs> like yeah. if I get somewhere, I discover something interesting, how the fuck am I going to get out of here is not so much of an issue. And the game interestingly does seem to always support it. There always does seem to be a way to get out of the place that mm. you got into. Um, but you know, a lot of these things are at the, like you've got 22 minutes at most and, uh, a lot of these places take about that amount of time to going to get to you. Like, you know, 15 yeah. minutes in, you've just got to the thing and now you're reading all the, it does a really nice thing where anytime you're reading anything, it pauses the game. Mm. I guess that's a really ordinary feature actually, but it's, it's implemented in this very strange way because right? you're translating the text and the game feels like it's still in real time, but actually your little scanning beams, as, as soon as you're not moving the mouse, they freeze and time is actually paused when you're reading because you are always under some kind of time pressure and it would suck yeah. if, it, if that was a factor. I think I really like, you know, I don't know what else you could apply it to, but really like an abstract, the idea of designing a game around like everything you need, you can do in the game needs to be doable within 22 <laughs> minutes of the start <laughs> of the, the start, game. Yeah. And it's, sort of, it's, it's a hell of a way of cutting fat. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I've, I'm annoyed mostly at myself because there's one area that is intentionally really obtuse to get to is really circuitous. You have to sort of follow this trail. Doing it the first time is really fun because it's like, oh my God, I'm discovering this long, elaborate secret and wow, look where I'm going now. And then that place you get to is kind of a big town and you need to go back there. There's a lot to discover there and you can't do it all in one run, I wouldn't think, unless you already know what you're doing. Um, and I've been, I don't know, I played the game maybe eight hours and I've gone back to the place sort of 10 times and ev- I've there are many, many shortcuts to it and they're all broken in some way. Like, oh, this door opens from the inside, but not the outside. And so on your next run, that's no use to you because you, mm. you can't, opening it last time doesn't help you this time. Um, and there, there were so many of them so conspicuously broken. Like, oh, this thing just fell out and this thing's, oh, it's blocked up by cacti. Oh, this thing's blocked up in this way that I thought the game was telling me there is no shortcut to this. You've got to do it every time. You just, it's that like super meat boy thing of getting really good at the, yeah, the yeah. particular, um, route in. I did get really good at it. And then just now, when I'm almost completely done with the area, I found a shortcut. <laughs> it's just like a, and it's not even that well, like from the inside, it's not that well hidden. I just happened to have never gone through that door. And when you go through that door, you're like, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm right here. I could go up here from there. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like this game is a bit kind of game of the yeary. Is that, is it as good as that? Yeah, it was, mm. so it was Probably, in the IGF, yeah. um, the same year as Invisible Link. And I voted for this to win overall, mm. which is saying something, um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and it, it, again, another thing that was not evident to me back then, either because it wasn't in there or because I hadn't played it enough, um, there is so much internal logic to it, so much of it makes sense and connects in meaningful ways that beyond the sort of gamey connecting of things and the, the sort of adding entries to your log and, and solving, because it tells you whether there's more to discover in an area. And I am doing the thing where like, that's a really useful feature because you visit an area and there's many where I thought I'm completely done there. I searched for everything. And it says, no, there's more to discover there. And I thought, well, surely I got that. And then I go back there and realize, oh no, I didn't read this. Or there's a scroll here or that kind of thing. That's really useful. But it also becomes a kind of mechanical thing of like, oh, I've checked that off. Like I will, yeah. well, every time I find a new thing in an area I've already been to, I'll go back to my ship and just check, hey, log, have I done this now? <laughs> Can I go? Um, so that's a bit mechanical. But then there's so much beyond that that is just like text that I've read 
that without seeing anything new in the game as well like after a bunch of experiences when i then go back and read that same text again with no new having not having gone back to the same place i just read it and like oh that must be over there that must relate to this or just the name of that thing makes sense with this thing and and now i realize why they would build this thing and then i had i'll keep this incredibly vague and incredibly mysterious but i i was in a situation that i've been in hundreds of times before looking at the exact same thing that i'd looked at a hundred times before today and i just looked at it and oh my god (laughs) i've just like (laughs) cracked a whole thing of this like a huge mystery in this now makes complete sense uh, just from watching this this time (laughs) yeah right i like i think i think the um on the checking things off the list front i think that is not i mean obviously it's mechanically useful but i think it's also kind of important in terms of feel because i think ambiguity in terms of whether you finished an area when you have so much analog mystery solving to do and use the word analog for that what i really mean is things you just got to develop in your own mind being knowing you have all the information you can have to then try and develop your understanding is just more fun yeah like without that you stress right you end up with informational big town yeah um <laughs> like and um like and also big library it's like there's something about this I find really interesting that I, I, I don't have the vocabulary to articulate other than by referring to a different kinds of big town. But there's something about like my comfort level with I want I find that the promise of all these secrets really really enticing as long as you can give me some reasonable reassurances about the actual possibility space. You know what I mean? So there's like you can certainly miss things or, or whatever, but I don't want to be overwhelmed by the amount of things I could be doing. Like when I when I grasped the 22 minute sequence you know again one of the things i did was stay on the the first planet and run around checking if the conversations you can have with all the townsfolk changed <laughs> and the reason i did that was not because i anticipated that they they would and, and, in, and they don't in most cases um but it was because i just wanted to know that it wasn't expecting me to do all that again right you know what i mean like because it it you know, it, it, essentially there's a preamble before your first journey. And then from subsequent journeys, you can just shoot off into space whenever you like. Yep. Um, um, but I sort of wanted to make sure that like, you know, that thing games do where it's like, Oh, you can leave, but we're going to sort of low key punish you for leaving because, <laughs> you know, it's the, you know, the, the level structure thing of like critical path is right. But if you go left, there'll be exactly one health orb. Yeah. Like, um, that school of game design like ruling that out was really important to me because as soon as i'd ruled that out i have more fun it's because the possibility space collapses in just one particular way so it's like oh okay you want you know the entire game is out there and i'm never going to be wrong in going that way and not obsessively investigating whether things have changed from one run to the next and so there's something about that like when where you kind of establish your um limits on on how much you can hide from the player or how much they could be having the you know, in danger of having the rug swept out from underneath them in terms of expectations, and therefore just saying like, "Yes, it's a, it's it's mechan- it's very gamey, but you did see everything important in this area." Um, it's really important because it's actually kind of the opposite of Heaven's Fault, which <laughs> yeah, forever losing things forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you didn't do this well. You can never do that, and we also assume you didn't want to do things A, C, and D. <laughs> yeah, whereas like Heaven's Fault, because of the randomization element, it wants you to be over that. It yeah, it to, wants you just to like this is your fate. This is what you. Yeah, it's one, it wants you to approach it with like what happens happens. Yeah, and we talked about it at the time that 
it's that there's an awkward relationship with just how that feels in a game. Yeah. Like just the anxiety of, yeah. but I want to make choices with not perfect information, but I want to commit to my choices kind of when I know what they are yeah. rather than like real life where you're just sort of feeling your way yeah, through. And a number it. of games have all, all made a save before and a, 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 a choice just to know what the ramifications of the choice are. Like, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not to, to save scum. It's more like, I just want to make sure this is the one I want, you know. Like there's an element to almost all games, which is like effective project management. Mm. Like, <laughs> you know, all games, you know, to the extent that games are puzzles, they print you with a, a problem and then ask you to derive a solution for solving it. So Void, you know, uh, Void Bastards is essentially, you don't have all of these things. You want all of these <laughs> things. Project manage your way to having all of these things. Mm. And then when you have them, the game is kind of over. Like that, you know, that is actually really satisfying. And it feels like that's something that happens. What really wanted to shed, which was the, you know, manage this really carefully, like plan this really carefully. Um, uh, but it, again, it's interesting that it's something you almost can't like, there's well, it's not, you can't, but you, you're asking a lot from the player in terms of changing their, well, yeah, you're, you're talking to a group of people who are used to having to check everything yeah. off a list. And if you've missed something, it's a failure like that is something as content you've missed and paid for. Um, or <laughs> it's a failure because you are meant to tick it all off. There's, this is fascinating. Um, uh, Outer Wilds is like the 22 minute loop thing means that they could, they really need in, into it in that all the time in this universe, things are happening irreversibly. Like most of the planets you go to, something dramatic is happening here that can never be undone. <laughs> it's like you are witnessing th- this extraordinary event that is going to forever change this world. And if you miss it because you're a different planet, that's all right. You just go back. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You're going to see it uh, you, as many times as you like. And there are all kinds of things where like, you know, um, I will, it's very upfront about what is happening. So it, it pretty much, even if you come late in that process, you will see what was happening and, and what effect it has. And there have been a bunch of times where I realized like, uh, oh, that thing that was unsolvable when I encountered it, that was happening on World X. World X is undergoing this process. If I was like 15 minutes earlier in that process, I don't think I would have that problem. Like there would be a whole chunk of this world that would still be there that I could then use to solve this problem. Um, and so like you just don't see that stuff because either you know in a scripted linear game where they're going to force you to look at a particular thing you know a world being destroyed or something is just it's never really going to have that impact because it's always just because that's just what happens in the plot and that's true here it's it's preordained you're not affecting it or anything but because it's just going on with or without you and you can go wherever you like that stuff all it both feels meaningful and also you can never miss out on it permanently because that, that, that was the magical thing when i played majora's mask for the first time that you know, the, the, yeah, there's this, it was this, you know, at a time when games couldn't really simulate living worlds, there was this simulcrum world going on where stuff happened outside of your, 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 your presence. Yeah, right. And, but it wasn't to waste because you could always see it if you chose to stand there at that moment during the day, mm. you know, and that, like it was, it was fucking magical. Like it was felt incredibly, um, uh, uh, new and, and kind of, yeah, exciting. Hmm. Shall we <laughs> do some questions? I don't know why you're surprised. I literally thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> we shall and should and will. Kane writes, regards. 
In Stellaris, like in Crusader Kings 2, you need a Casus Belli to declare war against another empire. There are quite a few different ones with different requirements, and they determine your victory conditions and what will be imposed on the belligerents based on the war's outcome. Don't know why I pronounced that all weird, but it did. Um, for example, if another empire has ethics that are opposed to yours, you can have a imposed ideology cast a spell against them. If you win, they return, you return any occupied territory to them, but they have to change their governing ethics to match yours. A recent DLC also added the Colossus, which is a spaceship of some considerable size, not unlike the Death Star. Building one grants you the Colossus Cassus Belli, allowing total war against any rival empire. So basically, why are you declaring war? I've got a really big gun. Building a Colossus also grants every other empire in the galaxy a stop Colossus Cassus Belli against you. So why are you declaring war? You've got a really big gun. What's the most anecdote-worthy reason you've declared war? Hello, Kane. <laughs> Um, this was, uh, rife throughout my Galactic Civilizations, uh, 2, uh, diary, the, uh, the second Galactic Civilization 2 diary I did, where, uh, the whole arc of my goal was to, like, bring the galaxy together in peace and, uh, just win peacefully, but then it turned out I was really good at building Death Stars, <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Actually, I kind of, because the Death Star destroys planets, right? The thing I was building destroys stars. So it destroys all the planets around the star as well. Mm. Um, I don't know what you call that. that <laughs> certainly too big of, naming the first one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Death Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, that would be the seventh. Yeah. Um, that did cause some people to declare war on me and also caused me to declare war on some people. <laughs> it's, it's very true to life. <laughs> Having a giant thing that can destroy planets slash stars, definitely the the war question comes up pretty fast. Why did you build it? Uh, honestly, this sounds even like though because I wrote he could. like 30 plus thousand words about why I built it, I don't recall now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was earnestly going for peace initially. I imagine somebody made that either impossible or annoying. <laughs> Therefore, I went for... I think it's one of those things where, like, if the things you invest in... I think I was good at building star bases because I was building cultural star bases to broadcast my TV mm. to them to make them like me. And then they would flip to me eventually. And if that didn't work, well, I'm already good at building star bases. <laughs> it's, a, it's a transferable skill set to <laughs> build a Death Star. <laughs> What is a Death Star if not a radio antenna with a gun? <laughs> yeah. It's really just, it's still beaming stuff to these people. It's just a different kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, for me, sort of cartographic OCD starts most wars. So, like, in whether in Civ or Total War or uh, Space Game or, or whatever, it's, I don't really like having, like, a weird little dangly bit of the Empire that sticks out the side. It's nice <laughs> if the Empire's a big circle or a big square, <laughs> ideally, or takes up the entirety of the landmass that it's on. You know what I mean? So it's very least bordered by the sea. So there's a lot of, like, small border kingdoms and city-states that have been sort of squashed essentially because it makes the map look nice. Neatness. <laughs> not, not weakness necessarily, but like we would all benefit from this entire landmass being red, you know? Uh, in my uh, Total War, uh, Warhammer 2, that was the correct name, wasn't you did it? it yeah. By the I'm name, it seems like reasons for war is not a big part of it. Yeah, like, yeah you're meant to be doing it, but, but I was surprised in about the war? range of reasons, personal reasons I had where... So, um, so the one is like, uh, there's a, there's a, a good reason to have, uh, regions, which are usually three or four cities, 
because they get a boost in kind of stuff mm, yeah. for doing it. So that like clearing those up was often a factor. But then also when, as, as you go through the game, I was playing Skaven and I won and I was very pleased with myself, but, um, the, uh, nobody likes the Skaven. <laughs> And, you know, you can look at people's opinions of you and like, don't like Skaven is their like race aversion. Yeah. And it's basically, you just don't like us because we're dirty and <laughs> nasty and Rat plotting hen. your demise. Yeah. Who brought uh, the moon? Which just seemed, and, uh, and that got just made me nervous. And so I would just <laughs> declare war simply this is why people to don't remove like the people <laughs> who would, who, whose hatred for me would just rise until they would just declare war first. So <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. And then there's the kind of the, the ones that where the AI just decides to just send like a an army consisting of two heroes at you and kind of skip about in front of your cities for a while <laughs> yeah and like well fuck you just yeah that's Cassus Bellow right there <laughs> yeah. yeah come in or leave yeah. like, <laughs> declare war reasons for declaring war on house cats <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you want to go out or not <laughs> so yeah but then they're the kind of on the opposite side of that then there are these pirates to go around and I suppose it's fine that like it, it makes sense that the pirate gr- uh, groups would just declare war but when they've literally just popped into existence they've spawned into existence and they immediately uh, declare war and they're nowhere near you so what we have had enough of you (laughs) and i never saw them and i was at war with them from the start of the game like some from near to the start of the game to right to the end and i never ever met them (laughs) it's a war of principle yeah Yeah. that did happen in in my scaven campaign where it was like you know uh, based on stuff that was happening elsewhere on the map like chaos marauders norskans have declared war on you and i mean like the, the the jungles of the the far 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 south and like i think eventually one band of like yeah, made it eventually like arrived bedraggled from like attrition on a beach somewhere and immediately <laughs> died but they did they did finally sort of bring that war to bear against people they didn't have any reason to even know about to be honest <laughs> i feel like you know we basically wandered over some pretty true historical kind of is that ground yes, literally true yeah um our next question comes from Luke, who writes, Hello, I've been working from home a lot recently, and there's a local neighbourhood dog who is very clearly bored, as it barks almost continuously. I'd say 1.2 kilowoofs per hour. There are some cute videos online where dogs, cats and reptiles try to interact with video games. But have you ever heard of games designed explicitly for animals? Would this be a good idea? Would this increase the rate of barking in my neighbourhood dog from excitement? Or quell his need to woof? Thanks for reading, Luke. I don't know anything about it, but Gunpoint background artist Fabian Van Donnellen made a game for pigs at one point, <laughs> like li- literally for to be played by pigs. Uh, th- that is all I know about it. Though. In Watch Dogs 3, do you reckon you can play as a dog? I guess if a dog is an NPC, then it, <laughs> technically... They- oh no, now I'm thinking about a dog with Boris Johnson's face. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, th- so... Uh, I really just wanted to use this as an excuse to talk about bees. Um, <laughs> but, um, most like animal behavior intelligence chest sort of experiments take the form of games, basically like puzzles and things. That yeah. Pigeons do a lot of these games. Yeah. Don't crows they? do a lot of them as well. Yeah. I'm on a bit of a crow kick at the moment because there's a great 
crow outside my window learning to fly and it's the best thing to watch because it's watching someone essentially play a game just so you know that when tom and i arrived here uh this evening we found him outside with me a, with a plate of, yeah we the found crow. yeah <laughs> the crow is not in sight but chris was there roaming the streets with some with worms worms. <laughs> worms in his hand look in a i just i just want i look all right <laughs> i've had a bit of a couple of days okay <laughs> because Two days ago, I noticed this like fledgling crow learning to fly in the little bit of grass outside the house, and it's the best thing ever because they're so smart, and you watch them problem solve. And it was following paths because paths lead to front doors, and going up the steps up people's front doors to the little walls because most people have like a living hill, so a lot of raised kind of front steps, and then jumping off the front step and trying to fly fifteen twenty feet, you know, flat, 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 and then landing and then pottering about again, and they have a brilliant walk, crows. <laughs> Uh, they're very hips forward kind of <laughs> waddle. It's very good. I like it a lot. And, um, and then, uh, you know, long story short, a Pip did a tweet thread about this. I think I tweeted it as well. The crow was endangered by a dog that was being walked off the lead. I, my heart broke in two and I've basically defended this crow ever since. And so today I just wanted to make sure he was eating. Um, so I was wandering outside with a, like a, like a punnet of mealworms just seeing, cause he was, he's gotten up to, or he or she has gotten up to, um, rooftops now and i was so proud earlier watching it fly from one roof to the other then walking up to the top of that roof looking up and visibly going like actually now nah, walking down a bit and then flying from there it was really good crow dad yeah yeah creighton crow dad that's the <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so but nonetheless a lot of these sort of intelligence checks takes the form of basically designing puzzles for animals yeah you linked it us to an article that uh establishes that bees can understand symbols for numbers right yeah so yeah. I, I knew bees had a concept of zero that was my fact yeah that was that was that was a pop that's <laughs> but been a now we know that they they can also look at i didn't actually entirely understand the methodology but it involved showing them symbols and then if they if they went down the right path they got some sucrose and if they went down the wrong path they got quinine which is i didn't is that, they don't like quinine. punishment for bees. I, if you'd asked me to come up with something bees don't like, that wouldn't gin? be the first thing I guess. Quinine. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, so they get gin or sugar. I think it's in tonic water. <laughs> oh right, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they hate that. And Americans say quinine. Quinine. Mm. Let's get into a, like mm. what other shit? Please don't send us questions. <laughs> <Yeah. that>. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're still recovering from last time. <laughs> thing what do different in america <laughs> um what yeah, do bees do i think different? yeah i think it was bees were put in a place that had like a maze where they would see three things three objects and then there'd be two symbols above two passageways and um the the correct route would be the one that corresponded uh, okay so the number three corresponds to three items and they could consistently get that right once they'd learned it um but I so, yeah, go on. I'd noticed that they, um, they specified in the study, uh, like an upside down T meant three and an N meant two. I love the idea that they like, they thought about put, just putting human numbers, but that would make it too easy. <laughs> Maybe they already know the human numbers. Let's, let's invent a new language. <laughs> um, but like they, the thing they couldn't do is, um, uh, reverse the information. So if they learned to go to a number two, having seen two objects, they couldn't then learn to go to two objects having seen a number two. Ah, uh, okay. So they can learn symbol to number or number to symbol, but not both, hmm. which is um, apparently based on the way we process language, two different parts of the brain working together, they probably can't do that, which is interesting because, you know, 
that makes them, uh, you know, uh, you know, dumb. Get it? Get good bees. <laughs> <laughs> get good bee. <laughs> and if you want to like gently dissuade a bee, you can throw tonic at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck you, yeah. bees. Don't well, you know, that. that's a good. It's a good thought, right? Like, you know, summer's here. What's the ideal barbecue drink? <laughs> Probably a gin and tonic. Just bring with you to a barbecue a glass of sucrose and a glass of tonic. Yeah. <laughs> if attacked by bees, you can decide how to treat them. <laughs> Wasps, however, can't count and don't give a shit about quinine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love gin, can't count. Yeah. <laughs> That's <their> motto. <laughs> Wasps. <laughs> We're not trying to count. <laughs> That's enough gin. <laughs> Someone explained to me, and I don't remember who or, where, or whether this is true or not, but it's an interesting B factor. That's what we're on. Um, apparently, and I love this if it's true. Fact if true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have, have I told this to you guys? Have I said on the podcast before how bees give directions to other bees? Yeah. Because it's really they do like a dance, right? Yeah. Well, they do a dance, but what the dance communicates because it's related to everything else. It's apparently, I think if, it was a, a friend told me this who had done a, a degree in it. So I assume degree it's true. Degree in bees. A, a bee degree. <laughs> bee she, degree. Was, she was, she was doing a, a falcon degree. Oh, hang PhD. on. Um, <laughs> We're getting snarled up. There's a joke here. Um, but, um, anyway, bees apparently tell other bees how many objects away something is. Right. Oh, okay. So, um, because they vote basically on where the new hive should be. And it's like, I found this location. It's, I don't know, a thousand things that way. <laughs> but, but what if they're arguing like, oh no, well, that, no, I'm, I was counting that, that, that little bush. No, 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 that's not. Yeah, it's that bunch of berries. <laughs> eight objects or one object? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I guess bees know. Um, but like, so <laughs> we I can all again, agree on the basics. <laughs> I am massively simplifying something that was explained to me by an actual biologist, but apparently, Lakes really confuse bees because lakes are one object. But they're very big. But they're huge. <laughs> so, but I thought, even if this isn't true, it's a really interesting way of conceptualizing distance. Like, yeah. it, like distance in a sensory sense. It's like, how many new things did you see on the way there? So gliding across a lake, a featureless, like flat surface of water is, um, is exactly as taxing as walking past a bush or a branch or an interesting looking fence on your brain, which is kind of interesting. I just thought there was a kind of interesting way of I don't, That's exactly what I was time. when the question came up about, you know, dog game for dog. Uh, I was thinking about, <laughs> well, you know, as humans, we kind of lean on our eyes and ears as our principal sensing, you know, and right, we can, yeah. we can, we're very happy to exist in worlds that where those are the only senses, you know, you know, that's what we do in games and their principle that, uh, dogs sensory, you know, kind of universes are quite different. Mm. We might, we probably just, there might be a game for dogs. I think there might be, because but, but you'd have to have a smell o vision. So, or yeah, but what? So, I don't know where I read smell-o-vision this. Smell o vision is the dumbest term in the world. Isn't it? Yes. Like, they just put the word vision on, like vision literally means vision. <laughs> like, that's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> um, so dogs, apparently, um, their sense of smell is so great. They can kind of tell what's happened in a room as well as yeah. what is happening. So the one of the things, you know, apparently it's, it's fairly common for puppies to struggle with this because they, they, they smell, they can't tell the difference yet between happening and Olden. happened. Yeah. So it's like they can smell time, basically. <laughs> so time is overlaid, which is actually a really good concept for a game because it's like, it's the sort of, you know, passing, uh, you know, so many detective games have the kind of Batman vision where you get to recreate the crime scene and see what happened. That's just being a dog. <laughs> so the, you probably could do like a, 
a detective game or something for dogs where you layered the scent of a thing that had happened. There but are those, um, those, you know, that, that, that video of the, uh, lizard, uh, trying to eat the, there's a sort of like a iPad, iPad game. Yeah, I think that's a fresh kind of, reference in the email yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. With a sort of little kind of bugs on it. And it, or I think it's a, there's a frog as well. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I don't think that that animal's playing a game. I bet that angle animal's getting really fucking upset <laughs> at the fact that its tongue is getting bruised against this hard <laughs> yeah, item right. and not getting anything. I think, I think the thing is things dogs are also capable, I think, of understanding something is a game. Which mm. is an interesting kind of distinction. Like whether it's like, not, as, but it's like yeah, it's a social contract, definitely. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, throw this for me and I mm. will return it. Mm. Like that is, you but know, you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> now you can have it. Ah. <laughs> Get good human. Um, <laughs> I was watching someone in the park do, throwing for their dog and they did the fake out thing. Like you sort of mm. pretend to throw it and watch them go like, Oh, what the hell is the dog thinking about that? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> so uh, my parents dog that I taught to fetch when he was very, very little. And now it's all he does. Um, um, loves that, but there's really like, and obviously I know people, you know, you characterize or you humanize what dogs are thinking necessarily, but there's definitely a process that goes on now with, if you do the fake out throw, there's a lot of staring at you, like <laughs> you've, you've hidden it, like it's behind you. And then, but the thing that the level of trickery that you have to get to is you have to both not throw it and then immediately hide it. So either in like a pocket or behind something, uh, because the first thing you'll do is walk around you looking at you. So like, is it in your hands? Is it behind your back? Then if it isn't there, that's when tail wag like crazy because <laughs> you've done magic. <laughs> and like, it's always like smart enough to kind of go like trick and then wasn't a trick real. <laughs> and then he'll look everywhere in the entire house. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really good. But I, I love the, the step between yeah. like, you know, from like suspicion to like, this is brilliant. So yeah, I think dogs would probably be a much, maybe a more optimal consumer of video yeah. games than we are. Yeah, I'd feel a lot more confident about my ability to entertain dogs than humans. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'd love to, yeah. Maybe VR would be good for dogs. <laughs> we found out who it's for. Let's find its purpose. <laughs> Unfortunately, they can't look up, though, so they're missing a whole dimension. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> but that's fine, because they probably don't have to then render that. To be honest, with a, a full Vive headset on, they can only look down. <laughs> it's just going to be straight to the floor, never up again. Also, they rely so little on their vision that they wouldn't care at all. Yeah. They, would, they would smell the actual room. They still smell in. the normal room. Think, yeah. What? This isn't a spaceship at all. <laughs> you need like, like, yeah, smell VR, if you will. Mm. Smell, smell of VR. That's all right. Smell virtual reality all makes sense. Yeah. Vision is, doesn't come into it yet. <laughs> all right, fine. We've settled it. Um, our next question comes from, well, it's actually a story, but it's a good story. Comes from Benj, who Ryle writes, Riles, fucking hell. Hail Creighton. I see what they did there. Um, I have horse concerns. Regarding your horse naming discussion, I was one of many who bought a Switch on launch date to play Breath of the Wild, and I can't have been more a day, more than a day or two into it when I came, became a proud horse owner. I called that horse Mega Horse in caps, and I didn't know why, or I didn't, or I don't know why, or I didn't, until Chris noted that there is a literal mega horse in the game. Mine wasn't one. It was just a horse horse. But I still named it after a phrase we'd use to describe a much larger horse two years in the future. 
Was this horse widely publicised in Breath of the Wild previews or mentioned in CNC in 2017? Or did I get struck with the most useless bit of limited prescience ever? <laughs> Name aside, it wasn't even that good of a horse, as the game is mainly about climbing and gliding, and a horse can do neither, no matter what you call it. Thanks for all the pods, and for maybe horse hodoring me. <laughs> <laughs> An excellent verb. <laughs> ben. Um, I don't think I'd heard of the Mega Horse until last week. No, I don't think I'd, I'd, I don't think we had either mentioned the Mega Horse on the I don't think the no. Mega Horse exists. I think. <laughs> Alex goes a step further. We've got a horse, horse I think you're die. lying. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's time it came out. Um, you've been tricking dogs and now you're moving on to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I dangled the Mega Horse. Is the Mega Horse feet. behind your back? Yeah, hang on. I'll Google the Mega Horse so you can see Spin it. Spin your chair around. Uh, I don't, I wonder chair. if I, here's a good test. Here's a good test. Right, so I called it the Mega Horse because I didn't know what else to call it. In the game, it's not called the Mega Horse, right? <laughs> What's the pity? Like the least bit of Zelda naming ever, right? <laughs> so, um, so I just called it that. But if I Google Breath of the Wild Mega Horse, will it come up? Because that shows that's that the term is in broader use. It's, so a, it's just an, an innate human thing for all human <laughs> of course, history. We all know about the Mega Horse. <laughs> Do bees know about the Mega Horse? <laughs> Can we prove that they understand the concept of a horse but bigger? <laughs> scientists spend 20 years devising a <laughs> uh, test the sucrose so on the I, I just what i tried to do is initially just um uh google the phrase mega horse to see where this would get us and uh the best uh the best thing here is the fact that mega horse is the name of a horse supplement okay oh. <laughs> so there you go um uh, that horse. explains mega horse's origin story <laughs> um and it's just, it's tagline is horse mega horse <laughs> Meg, mega horse for horse people who know the best shouldn't cost the earth a hundred percent guaranteed. I have no idea what that wow. means. All the percents. Is he going to upgrade your horse? And also, is when they say horse people, do you think they mean people who own horses or centaurs? <laughs> is 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 a horse supplement how you become a centaur? <laughs> Fuck. There's a lot more questions. I think you might have found the like, dark web. Yeah. Um, did you mean Mega Horse? Ask <laughs> <Last> Google. <laughs> I mean, I did, but... <laughs> so you wrote Mega Horse all one word, and you were like, yeah. did you mean Mega Horse? <laughs> I don't know what your thing is, but there's uh, a thing called Mega Horse. The images are very good for this, um, and thank God, relatively safe for work. Um, are there any centaurs? There aren't, but there is a horse dressed as Zero from Mega Man. Hmm. Um, okay, I see it. <laughs> Is there a uh, card of two horses? There's also fighting? this Pokemon card, <laughs> which uh, describes the, the moves of the Mega Horse as Super Kick, which does 30 million damage, and Putch Putch Uppercut, <laughs> which doesn't specify how much damage that does. <laughs> well, it's implied. <laughs> uh, I'm now going to Google Breath of the Wild, Zelda Mega Horse. Yeah. Which, incidentally, is an excellent name. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. Um, how, the first, like, uh, first, did you mean Zelda Big Horse? <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you mean Zelda Big Horse? Thanks, Google. Uh, you know, in the future, when I when you type this, it will just be a big Stadia link that takes you immediately <laughs> to the big horse. Did you mean this big horse? Um, so yeah, the first the first uh, uh, item here is how to find and tame the giant horse in Breath of the Wild. That's Polygon, and then uh, YouTube seems to uh, agree that this is called the giant horse mm. um in, in, entertainingly um the three videos suggested are zelda breath of the wild giant horse location then a giant secret about horses in zelda breath of the wild <laughs> and then red dead online sucks mega horse balls <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Man, algorithms have a hard job. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's quite difficult to say. We all feel for them. What's the most relevant um, thing there? There's a yeah, and then there's a super rare horse location. Hunt for the giant horse. Can you put in, can you put mega horse in speech marks and see whether any, yeah, anything comes okay. up? I also want to see, just click. Um, there's this Reddit thread here about horse names. Um, that's boring. Oh well. So yeah, hang on. So what were you going to suggest? Put um mega horse in um in speech marks. And and Zelda and Zelda. Um. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> did you mean big horse and speech marks yeah. <laughs> it really wants me to say big horse um, so good one from the subreddit here um, two g- game changing tips for the early game the quote that Google's pulled out is um, I'm new to the whole horse thing in Breath of the Wild and I don't want to let the mega horse slip through my fingers <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a sentiment that we can all it's all a common deathbed by. regret yeah. let the mega horse slip through my fingers um um, anyone else find tame the mega horse? Someone asks. Um, um, uh, th- there's a random non velderated wiki that specifies that there's a massive spider comparable in size to the mega horse. <laughs> um, a mega spider, if you will. <laughs> Imagine if you will, a spider, but like a mega horse in size. We shall call it the giant spider. <laughs> we should call it the big spider. <laughs> I think what we've established is Mega Horse is a less common but yep. understood. <laughs> the internet's fighting you on this. Yeah, name for for the horse. I think also, um, you know, you could have, you know, there's a parallel universe where you called your horse Turbo Horse or something, <laughs> and you just ended up slightly to the left of my go-to yeah. kind of big word. You know, um, nonetheless, <laughs> I think just a moment of synchronicity, just minds reaching out to one another across the vacuum of uh, consciousness. Soul debate has now given me a whole load of new horse names to use not really related to what we've been saying <laughs> just because we been thinking about horses a lot for one thing i'm looking at a big box out of the horse horse heresy so now i'm thinking if horses heresy yeah. is a good yeah. horse name horse yeah, heresy yeah. also um, inspector horse <laughs> uh, horse code <laughs> um i uh always think of the horse heresy as the horse hearsay just like <laughs> horse rumors horse facts we've heard of this mega horse yeah exactly. but is it just a big horse <laughs> exactly the horse hearsay so minis monthly the joke there sneaking in on the side um yeah good I, i'm glad we um i think that was useful i think that was, yeah, that was useful. Um, and i think that it means you did hodor him I did, yeah. Um, did I? Is that the conclusion we reached? I don't reached? know. Yeah, I've no. completely forgotten where I, I am and what's going on. Um, oh, did you see the, uh, I think I sent this link to everybody, but the, um, the very good AI names for cats. Yes, yeah. I did actually. Kind of relevant to that. I'll put it in the show notes because it's yes, superb. It's important information. And what I like about it is the AI generated sinister names for cats. <laughs> um, uh, like, you know, like Hand of the Master and Serendipitous Kill sound like what cats' names actually are in mm. cat. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that if a cat introduces itself to another cat, that's its yeah. name, right? Like, I am serendipitous kill. They're going to be you. very, very edgelord. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas, and then, you know, like the, um, what was the excellent one? It was like Lucius Monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Anyway, link in the show notes that I've just committed myself to doing. Thanks, me. Our final question comes from Duncan, who writes, Hello, it's June. And you don't know what that means. It's time for the first annual Game of the Half of the Year. It's often lamented during December's Game of the Year discussions that games at the start of the year are forgotten. So what are your got or goat 
What's your goatee? Thanks, Duncan. P.S. It's Destiny 2. <laughs> oh, okay. But as we established, that came out in 2017. It's the game of forever. Mm. Tom, you got a goatee? Yep, I wrote down some candidates. Uh, it's tricky, actually. Uh, technically, Slay the Spires this year, but I feel like that's spiritually a game of last year. Yeah. Um, uh, the game came out in the year that its takes came out in. Outer Wilds is very much a contender. Mm. Um, and the only, so totally accurate battle simulator, obviously. Yeah. Great <laughs> has to be on the short list. Yeah. Um, cause it's glorious. And then actually Far Cry New Dawn. I really, um, just all the, like the plot stuff got out of your way more than Far Cry 5 did, which is the main problem with Far Cry 5. And then all the systemsy stuff was way better. Um, it's probably Outer Wilds for me. We have talked an extraordinary amount over the last two podcasts about just skipping story and writing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm. uh, Alex, I'm really, st- I've really struggled with it because I've kind of bounced. I mean, I think there have been some really good games uh, that have come out in the first half because we we went through a list of all the games that we've been talking about since the start of the year and some really great games that I've sort of bounced off, and none, none of them I would say that I've spent enough time with and felt strongly enough about to really kind of say anything about them. Destiny 2 is the one that I started the game playing quite a lot of and then it kind of petered out somewhere in February or so, you know, for me. But Mm. yeah, I feel it's my failure. It's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's my fault. Um, Mine's almost certainly Sekiro, to be honest. Like, Mm. of game I put a substantial... I said earlier that I struggled to commit to big games lately, and it's the one that I did finish and uh, really, really loved. Um, I think also up there for me is Totally Accurate Battle Simulator and Mordhau. Oh god, did you see Totally Accurate Battle Simulator now lets you possess units? What? You can, like, not only you're seeing it from first person, you actually control them. Yeah. What? So, like, for catapults, that's a game changer, because the, <laughs> their AI was yeah. limited. <laughs> 80% of that game is trying the same thing over and over again until yeah. it inexplicably works. Yeah. <laughs> until that one unit actually does the thing that would be good. But yeah, like, I, I want to be a scarecrow, honestly. You should be a bard. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the most overpowered thing in the game. Because like, the problem with the bards is they run in a stupid direction, get caught and die. Uh. Ah, oh, I'm actually literally, I want to do that now. Luckily, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that? that was the last question. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so totally a back simulator. Um, and Mordhau because, uh, I just love its combat so much. Like, I appreciate that's like two of my top games of the year games with excellent swords mm-hmm. in them and big duels, but boy, I love that shit. And Sekiro is amazing for it. And so is Mordhau in its own way. Um, I, um, I am still play I've now gotten quite deep into a Mortal Battle Royale hole simply because the thrill of trying to find and kill someone with the first object you find is actually more pronounced in that than I think in any other Battle Royale game because sometimes you just have a rock. You're beating or, someone to death with a rock. Yeah, or a spade or a poo. Um or, you know, good. A, like a just a shield. Like it's very good. It's very good. <laughs> a lot of good yelling. But yeah, I really need to find out if you could break all of the encounters in Totally Accurate Battle Simulator when just being a bard. So we have to stop now. Sorry. Um, if you would like to send us a question or a story about a horse to a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at uh which is universally more effective than tweeting us at crowbar. But you can do that as well. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash crowbar. Uh, and our Discord link for which is on our website or in the show notes, which are on creatoncrowbar.com. Uh, thanks, Patreon friends. 
for being Patreon friends and allowing us to do the podcast and its spin-offs. And that's it, really. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, I'm on Twitter at cthurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Follow me if you want to hear me get grumpy every month or something about people walking their dogs and threatening my crow that's a son, <laughs> my son that's a crow. <laughs> Uh, I am at Pentadact on Twitter, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Uh, I am notionally at uh, Rotational. I'm not going to spell it because I'm only there notionally. Uh, and people know <laughs> how to spell it. And the link's in the show notes anyway, so the whole thing's been a, a, a <laughs> massive waste of time. Christ. 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 So many years. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>